0: We are super excited, pun intended, to welcome our newest sponsor, Supergirl. That's S-O-U-P-E-R-G-I-R-L. Supergirl is a kosher women-founded food delivery business. All of their soups are delicious, plant-based, and available for delivery throughout the U.S. except Alaska and Hawaii. Sorry to our Alaskan and Hawaiian listeners. Hopefully that will be delivered to you soon. In the meantime, those of you who want to try Supergirl, they have kindly offered our listeners a 20% discount. Just enter the code RUN20 at checkout to receive 20% off your subscription. I've been a Supergirl subscriber for a number of years. And what's really nice is that you can adjust your subscription depending on what's going on during the week. There's no obligation. You're not locked in for months or a year or anything like that. My favorite soups during the summer are the gazpachos. They are delicious and uh, I just love their soups. They're healthy, plant-based, kosher, and it's really nice to know you're supporting a local business that ships nationwide. So give Supergirl a try. You won't regret it. And thanks
1: so much to Supergirl for sponsoring our podcast. We always talk about the importance of recovery after our training runs. One of the products that we love to use to help with our recovery are our Lily Trotters compression socks. What do compression socks do? Compression socks can help reduce swelling, improve circulation, and reduce muscle soreness in your feet and legs. So we put them on after our long runs, after our hard workouts, or just when we're feeling like we need that little extra bit of recovery. Check out the stylish line Lily Trotters at www.lilytrotters, that's dot com, And you can use the code RFF20 for a discount. We love sharing tips about our favorite running gear with our podcast listeners. One of our favorite running items for as long as we've both been running are our spy belts. Our spy belts, small personal instrument belts are perfect for carrying anything small with you on your run. That could be your nutrition, your phone, your keys. The best part is that they don't chafe and they don't bounce around. So you don't have to worry while you're on your run. Check out Spy Belt at spyspibelt.com. While we pay a lot of attention to the shoes that we wear during our runs, what we put on our feet after our runs is just as important. That's why we love Ufo's recovery shoes. As a recovery product, Ufo's absorb 37% more impact than traditional footwear, which helps your feet, your ankles, your hips, and lower back recover faster. So, while slipping into your favorite pair of UFOs after a hard workout gives you that ooh and ah feeling, you can wear them all day long. We wear ours around the house, while working from home at our stand-up desks, or even out and about running errands. Check out the UFOs line at www.ufos.com. Hey, Julie. Hey, Lisa, how are you? I am doing great, how are you? I'm doing great. So you had a
0: real whirlwind of a week. Uh, Why don't you share with everyone what you were up to?
1: I I took my first, um, along with uh, my son, Alex, I took my first airplane flight since the pandemic, which was uh, really a little bit um, unnerving, but really exciting. And um, it was actually a really good experience. We flew down to Jacksonville, Florida for the USA Cycling Amateur Road Race National Championship. So he was competing in both the time trial and the road race. Um, So a time trial for people who aren't familiar with cycling, a time trial is basically starting Sounds exactly what it is. It's starting, and if you watch the Tour de France, which is on now, you'll see what a time trial looks like. But starting riders every one minute or thirty seconds apart, and basically it's you against the clock. It's an out and back. Typically in this situation, it was an out and back flat course. Twenty uh, k was for for his age group was the distance for his age group. So out halfway, out about. Um, six miles or so turn around 180 degree turn come straight back and you're just you against the clock as hard as you can go um and then the road race is um, a group race so that's all the riders starting together and they do four loops of about a 12 19 K or 12 mile loop. And, um, and, and really that's taking advantage of group of group dynamics and and riding in a group. Um, so we went down there and, you know, was up in the air for quite some time uh, earlier this year as to whether national championships would take place. A lot of the national championships earlier this year and last year were canceled. So this was my first time back at some sort of race. And it feels very similar to a running race. It's uh, the excitement. I really I, I got those like uh, nerves in my stomach, even though I wasn't competing as soon as I got there and, and saw you know, the start line set up and um, the racers checking in. And it just it was a really great experience. And I'll be honest, it, it felt back to normal. There were many COVID protocols. There were many that were put out to the riders and families and spectators of what would need to be followed. Um, There was a requirement that all racers be COVID tested within 72 hours prior to the race, you had to bring a proof of that test of a negative test for packet pickup, um, regardless of uh, vaccination status, so um, you had to had to bring Alex to get tested. Uh, There was pretty there were pretty strict requirements to packet pickup it was a very scaled down quote unquote expo or packet pickup you went in. Uh, If you were over 18, you had to be by yourself. If you were under 18, you could have one parent or guardian or one adult with you. Um, Masks required. Quick packet pickup, really, it was you went in, had your number ready, they gave you a packet, and you were out the door. So uh, pretty minimal um, contact. There were X's on the floor as to where to stand and make sure there was distance. Um, But the race itself was really back to normal. I felt like finally back to normal. And it was exciting. And look, it was outside. Much of riding is is distanced. Um, so it was, uh, did not feel dangerous. Um, everybody I talked to was vaccinated, but, and it was just such a great vibe to be with everybody. Uh, I met a lot of racers from around the country and um, it was, it was really a, it was great to reconnect with people and to have that shared experience, even though again, I wasn't racing, um, but to to be with the other spectators, to talk to the other competitors, to the families that were there, to support the riders, um, and again, like I said, to meet people from all over the country who had come back together to race got me really excited for our our upcoming races, so it was it was really good and while I was there, um, I know I talked to a few riders who were doing other races in the Jacksonville area. Um, one I met was doing a triathlon that same weekend so races are back and and they're feeling pretty normal again, and that was really exciting to me.
0: And just take a moment and do a little mom bragging about your son, please, because he really he's amazing.
1: So he did really well. And I, I feel like there are a lot of lessons to be learned, um, from him. Uh, you know, he's been working really hard for the last four months and training really with his nose to the grindstone. And, um, he actually watched a lot of his friends from his team move up to some kind of more elite development teams in the last year. Uh, they, they made the jump up and he wasn't quite there yet. Wasn't, you know, he's on his team that he started with which has been a wonderful amazing team to him and his coaches on the team are so dedicated to him and to to us as a family and you know us likewise to them Um, but it was always hard for him I think to watch those kids move up to some development teams while he stayed on his original team and really uh, they're all on those development teams so he was the only one from our team that was down in Florida and uh, it's a really different um, when you're by yourself versus when you're with a team that has a lot of support so the teams that were there that had support have have a rv and a tent and mechanical support and uh you know extra bikes if they're needed you know for kids who or riders who happen to crash their bike or something happens a lot of technical and logistical support they have coaches there they have um just such a they, they usually get houses together and they stay together and um so we were kind of the lone wolves from our team which again just happens to be that not you know no other kids from the team or riders from the team went this year um so I, I think it's been hard for him to see that and um he really just kept his nose to the grindstone though and kept training and he rides with these riders outside of um the team like on the weekend rides he still stays in touch with his friends and he rides with them and he's been going out and just riding with um He knew to get better, he'd need to ride with faster riders. And that meant not me, which was hard because we've always ridden together. And he basically said, mom, I got to go ride with these fast guys. So I spent a lot of weekends driving him um, all over the place to drive with, to ride with these really fast teams. And again, he just really stayed focused and we went down and again, the only ones from our team and um, he ended up doing really, really well and holding his own and getting a lot of respect from those kids and the coaches of other teams that said, you did great. I I will say the road race was really terrifying for me. It turned out that um, it stormed during the road race. And the road race, again, they're racing really close and they're racing at about 24 miles per hour. And when it's storming, it's dangerous. And there were a lot of crashes. And every time they came back around the lap, which was about a, again, about a 12 mile lap. So it takes about a half hour, 25 minutes to half hour to get around that lap. I would hold my breath and hope that I'd see him in the next lap. And then they'd go by and I wouldn't even be able to see him because they went by so fast. Um, but luckily, some other parents would say, oh, no, I saw him. He's in there. He's in there. And uh, we got to the final lap and went to the finish line. And the I thought, phew, we're in the clear, like he's going to come through the finish line. And the announcers announced there'd been a big 10-person crash on the course. And you just don't know who's, who's in that crash. You know, you can't see it. So I, I held my breath and really just prayed that he would come through that finish line. And, uh, and he did. And he did in a really good position. He was 23rd out of 51 riders and he's at the bottom of his age group. So this is 15 to 16 age group. So typically there's a very big difference between 15 year old boys and 16 year old boys, which you may know. And it was so interesting for me to see just that difference. And, um, and I, I, you know, he, uh, so he placed really well and was really proud of his efforts and has gotten a lot of um, just kudos and recognition for that. So I really proud. It just, I, I, to me, it just went to show that, you know, we don't always, um we may not always Feel like we're making the progress that we want to, or maybe um, we need to be a little bit more patient with that progress. But if you put in the work and you stay focused um, and and really um, keep a positive mindset, that your day will come. Like it, it'll come. And um, and and you know, to the on the opposite end, the, the his his friends that had races that were disappointing, a lot of them were because they had a crash or. Something happened—a mechanical problem that was out of their control—and to see these, um, you know, there were adults racing as well, but I watched the juniors' races to see these juniors, who're 15, 16, 17, 18, deal with that um, disappointment of having a flat that they just couldn't—you can't fix a flat fast enough to get back into the to the pack, or um, that had a crash that maybe wasn't even their fault. Somebody else, you know, ran into them. Um, To see them deal with that disappointment really maturely and just say, like, "Hey, you know, it wasn't my race this time." next time uh was really was really great i thought it was very it was a good example and it was a good um it was really and, and to see the riders encouraging each other um it's just a really great show of sportsmanship and again just to be back in that and that again felt really good so i'm i'm excited for us and for for what we've got lying ahead of us as well getting back to that ourselves
0: well congratulations to alex and to you chauffeur mom for uh <laughs> For, for getting him to the run ride with the faster people. And I just want one caveat, anyone listening to this saying, well, maybe that's what I need to do for my running. No, no cycling doesn't is a different terms no. sport. You know what, yes. what?
1: No, cycling has to do with physics. It's drafting, like you can't, you don't get the benefit of the draft when you run. So no, right, running, right. when you ride with faster riders, you get to you know take advantage of their draft. So it's, it's physics more than um, training principles. Thank you for clarifying, Lisa. But (laughs) speaking of that, there, there's um,
0: you mentioned some lessons to be learned from Alex putting his nose to the grindstone. I think this week has been just themes of those lessons after watching the Olympic trials. And oh my gosh, I've just really enjoyed watching these races and events and learning about the athletes. And for those athletes who um, you watch their stories and like so many of us, they were ready and prime to um to execute their talent at the trials last year. And then the Olympics, of course, were canceled and everything was put on hold. And we heard a lot of stories. I think um, the Olympic channel and NBC did, did a decent job. It wasn't terrific that a lot of the commentators, including Kara Goucher, were amazing. And they illustrated this particularly that so many of the athletes had to figure out how to their training on hold but not necessarily get too out of shape but just a little bit out of shape so that they were able to um periodize their training again for another year and then appropriately peak so they could do what they did over the last few weeks at the trials and that applies to all the sports not just track and field and i think the lesson to be learned from that can easily apply to us as amateur runners as well and that is that we are supposed to be a little bit out of shape or out of peak right now because our goal races are not until the fall. So, if we are peaking right now, that's a problem because then that means we're going to get to the start line overtrained and exhausted. So, for those who are maybe doing some good getting back to dabbling in races right now, maybe doing that first 5K in a while, or, or in with our runner's case, we have a lot of time trials on our runner's schedules just to get it assessment of where we are right now. If your pace is a, is slower, that's fine. In fact, that's that's good. That's, that's correct. Because that means you're not peaking yet. You're not supposed to be. So let's honor where we are right now in our training. This is for everyone listening. Look at where we are right now and take that data and use that to improve. And make sure to periodize your training. If you're not working with a coach, take a look at the big picture. Zoom out. Look at what you're doing and make sure that you are not putting your nose to the grindstone all the time because that will not result in a good result. That's going to result in an exhausted runner. So moral of the story, if you're feeling a little sluggish right now or just not on top of your game, congratulate yourself. Then that means you've treated yourself properly over the last year and you will peak at the right time to be able to get to the start line of your fall goal race, whatever distance that is, whenever that is appropriately. And just a little uh, related uh, tip is that all over the country and we, particularly saw it in the Pacific Northwest with respect to the trials, the heat is so oppressive. Um, I said to one of our runners, it feels like we're all like under an electric blanket this week. It's just this heat dome over us. And it's really hard to breathe. It's hard to run the paces you feel you're supposed to run. So just know that if you are typically, let's say on your long run, easy pace, a nine minute miler, and you're out there barely doing tens, then honor your body and do tens. Um, If you typically do speed work and you do 800 in three, three and a half minutes, and, and you're out there doing your 800s closer to four minutes because it's so hot, no problem. That doesn't mean that you're not executing the workout properly. As we've talked about before, it's a 5k effort. It's it's your easy effort and that effort is going to feel and look different on a hot and humid day with a high dew point we can't emphasize this enough for those who are running in groups um, those who are doing group marathon training programs where you are assigned to a particular pace group that pace group pace should be slower on a really hot and unusually humid day particularly if we are not yet fully acclimated so if you find that you are in your pace group and you're doing the pace you're quote supposed to be doing and that doesn't feel great, move back a group, move back two groups, do what you need to do to make sure that you are maintaining that easy conversational pace so that you can build your base, build your mitochondria, get yourself into shape so that you can peak at the right
1: time. Uh, so that's. and avoid injury that's avoid and avoid injury that's none of us are going to be able to perform at our potential if we don't get to the start line healthy and I think you touched on a lot of really relevant points especially because we're just now getting back to races a lot of us are kind of gung-ho or anxious to kind of get that you know really go hard after the training and you talked about putting your nose to the grindstone and part of that can include should include putting your nose to the recovery grind still, including that you know really um, focusing on your training and part of your training is recovery. And we do see that with a lot of runners is that, and it's understandable, we're all so excited to get back to training that they're out there going full steam ahead and have to, like you said, we wanna make sure we peak at the right time. We wanna make sure we're not overdoing it. So again, that we get to the start line healthy and we always talk to our runners about um, their potential and we wanna optimize their potential through their training and build their endurance, which is really the most important aspect of your marathon performance. And that is built by your easy aerobic efforts um, so we talked to them about that and about their potential and where, you know, if you do a time trial or you do a 5k and you can extrapolate a marathon finish time, you're only going to be able to hit that potential if you get to the start line healthy. So like you said, kind of take a step back, look at what your timeline look, look, looks like, which is going to be different this year than other years. And, uh, and one of the big differences being that we're training through summer for, for some of these races that are typically in. The spring like boston so we're training through the summer and that training looks that those training pieces and that training can look a lot different so that's those are all good uh reminders
0: great point and i have a little anecdote about summer training i was um in new york city um on sunday night through monday and um i love running in central park it's one of my favorite places to run. I actually was super excited to wake up Monday morning and do my planned um, six, seven miles in Central Park. And I was in the car driving a lot on Sunday. So my legs were pretty dead. I do notice with, with me in particular, when I am sitting for long periods of time in a car, it's very hard for me to run that day or the next day. And my legs just don't feel that great. They feel pretty dead. So I started running and it was super, super hot in New York on Monday and the buildings kind of also block the heat. So it feels even more oppressive. And I, I just couldn't do it, Lisa, like, and this is not like me. I'm pretty good in the heat, but my legs just wouldn't go. So you know what? I have confidence in myself. I know how to make that call. And I decided to instead do a brisk walk in Central Park and I enjoyed it. I didn't feel badly about it. I didn't feel guilty and I share this anecdote for all who sometimes you have to take a step back and and make those adjustments on the fly and I knew that nothing positive would come out of me forcing a run. The day after a long car ride when my legs felt dead, but conversely, I did a lot of walking in New York City. On Monday and. um, I'm vain. I don't like to wear my running shoes all around when I have on like somewhat of a cute outfit. I'll admit I'm vain. <laughs> so
1: I had my Ufos with me. I have no problem with, with that. You can find me with like, you know, like <laughs> I, I actually just... don't have cute, cute outfits. I only have running outfits. So they all match my running shoes.
0: <laughs> you always well. look cute. But you know, I, I just, I just was, did not want to wear my, my hokas around town. And so I had with me um, a fashionable pair of sandals and I also had my Ufos, which, They're actually pretty cute. Ufos um, has some pretty cute summer styles and I have these cute, like very subtle leopard print black ones and I decided to wear them. I ended up walking a total of almost eight miles through New York City in my Ufos. It was unintentional, but Darren and I just kind of kept wandering and and you know how it is, you end up in different neighborhoods and we weren't really on like a big timetable. So we had the time and I I swear I just want to share this because I know Ufos is a sponsor, but I'm just sharing this anecdote because I wouldn't have known about Ufos if they weren't a sponsor and they hadn't kindly sent me the shoes and I have been wearing them religiously, but I just started wearing these flip-flops, which is a different style. A plus. I have absolutely no soreness. My calves feel great. My Achilles feels great. And I normally would never recommend walking around in flip-flops. These are different. So for those who are on the fence, go get yourself a pair of Ufos, especially this summer. They are great recovery shoes. They're also super comfortable.
1: And have cute, yeah. like you said, cute summer. cute so They are cute. Both um, Paul and I have been wearing our UFOs around all the time. We keep um, saying how great we we feel like it's and and you know we see this as coaches a lot in the summertime, and we hear this from our runners. Well, they'll start to say, "Oh, my Achilles is bothering me. I'm getting some plantar fasciitis." And we say, "Well, what have you been wearing around for the summer?" And they say, "I'm wearing flip flops or I'm going barefoot because it's summertime," and, and that makes sense. Or I'm around the pool a lot, and typical flip-flops or um, barefoot obviously no support and that will lead to you know we we think about our running shoes and our running but that's not always the cause of the feet feet pain or the feet you know your 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 ankles your knees that's not always the cause Um, a lot of times it's that you've got no support when whenever you're walking around in and the ufos totally have changed that so I also have been living in my ufos this summer so we love our ufos so much obviously and we want to give them away to a listener again this month so we're gonna do another ufos giveaway head to our facebook page run farther and faster and we will have a post up that you can comment on and in the next week um, so today is uh, the 30th of june so through the first week of july we will have that up and make sure you add your comment to get in, entered into a drawing to win a pair of ufo shoes and you too can experience the
0: Ooh, of, of <laughs> the not,
1: not to be confused with Ooh, so, you. Yeah. <laughs> the the they, they really, you know, it's funny, like we, we talk about them a lot, but everyone I know who's gotten them is like, wow, they really are awesome. So they really have been, uh, you know, one of our kind of go-to uh, recovery items that we've, that we love.
0: For sure. So we also had some big news out of Boston since we last uh, recorded an episode. We took a couple of weeks off. Sorry, listeners. We we just had a lot going on. <laughs> Everything's good, but we just couldn't record the past two weeks um, due to time constraints. But Uh, Over the last week, uh, the BAA announced some news regarding uh, attaining a BQ for 2022 and 2023. So we now know for sure that for those interested in qualifying for Boston 2022 in April, you must run a qualifying time between September 1st, 2019 and November 12th, 2021. So. That's a longer window than what we anticipated, which is really great for planning purposes. That means for those who are looking at fall marathons and want to try and qualify for 2022, you do not have to run a fall marathon by September 2021. You now have until November 12th, 2021. So that includes um, the world marathon majors, which is probably the reason why they expanded the field for that. And um, it also includes those marathons that are a little cooler than something in September, so think about that for planning purposes and definitely reach out to us if you're trying to figure out a a good race to do. To uh, try and qualify for 2022 and they also announced the qualifying window for 2023 which will also be in April so for April. 2023. The qualifying window will be September 1st, 2021 through September 2022. So this means that anyone running a race this fall until November 12th, 2021 can qualify for both 2022 and 2023. And if you're so, running
1: Boston, if you run Boston in October of 2021 and get it re-qualify, that will count towards both as well, because that's in that window between September 1st and November 12th, 2021. So people have been asking, can I double dip? And that's a, a common question we get is if you use a qualifying time once to register, can you use it again? And you absolutely can. I've done that in the past where um, you know, if it falls in the window for two races, you can certainly use that um to register for both.
0: Yep. So it's just good to keep in mind. And if, if you feel like it's just not your time yet to try and qualify, that's okay. What's really encouraging is that we're now looking at Boston 2023 and so on. We're back to our normally scheduled um, Boston Marathon on Patriots Day in April. So, speaking of which, we had a lot of questions. And so we invited back onto the podcast this week the amazing Dave McGilberray, who is, of course, the race director for the boston marathon and he is our most popular guest because he's now been on our podcast three times so we really don't need to say much to introduce dave because those who've been listening have heard from dave before but you all know how much we love dave and we know that we share that love with so many of you and um, we often think of dave when we think of his quote which is the comeback is always stronger than the setback and certainly In this case, that is true. And Dave not only updates us a bit on what he's been up to since we last spoke with him in April, 2020, but he also talks a lot about the logistics and planning for the October Boston Marathon. So without further ado, coming up next is Boston Race Director, Dave McGilveray. And Lisa, I hope you have a great week.
1: Thanks, you too, Julie. Bye. Bye.
0: Dave McGillivray, thank you so much for joining us once again. This is the third time on the Run Farther and Faster podcast. We are so thrilled to have you, especially today, because we are finally seeing a light at the end of the tunnel with the fall first and in- hopefully only Boston Marathon approaching in about three and a half months. So, Yeah, Abe, yeah.
2: thank you. Yeah, it's a, you know, you used to cliche the light at the end of the tunnel. People were saying that to me for the last 18 months. And I said, yeah, but one of two things, not to be negative, but how long is this down tunnel? And um, are we sure that's not a freight train coming at us at the end of the tunnel? But truly, I think we are seeing the proverbial end of the tunnel races are coming back as you know i always say they come back stronger than the setback and i think we're starting to experience that and we put on my company DMSE sports put on our very first race in 19 months uh last weekend at mount washington it was the mount washington road race and it just felt so good to get back together as a team boots on the ground doing what we love to do so really looking forward to the Next three or four months of uh, bringing back our events.
0: That's fantastic news. And it's just really great to see that not only races returning, but big races. That's not an insignificant event. And mm-hmm. so that's a really great sign. So before yeah. we delve into races in general, we wanted to just ask a little bit about you, Dave. Um, the last time we spoke was in April 2020. How have you been since then and, and how's your health been?
2: You know, my health's been, been fine. um, As, as you probably have heard, Um, you know, I did have open heart triple bypass surgery in October of 2018. And, um, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't know what to expect, you know, whether I would eventually feel even better than I felt prior to the surgery or not. And it's, been an interesting journey. Um, I know for sure that the surgery fixed my problem, fixed my coronary artery problem where I was having difficulty exercising and and breathing while I was running, and and the bypass surgery bypassed that and fixed it. But you know the severity of the surgery itself, what they have to do to get to those arteries. Um, you know that that takes a while to to recover from and um i you know i must admit i could still feel it it's not 100% um you know pain free but i've run eight or nine marathons since then um you know i've 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 run every single day for the last four months haven't missed a day life's good i'm i'm, I'm feeling good and um, looking forward to a competitive fall season again
1: that's great to hear, especially uh, me from a personal level. My father had exactly had triple triple bypass, open heart surgery. Now um, in. November and he's also an athlete and um, a, a cyclist and a kayaker and he also had same as you kind of that fear of maybe not being able to get back to to where he was and, and he is on that route so I keep pointing to your story and you as an example so that's Thanks. really encouraging to see. Um, what about you know we talked a lot last time about um, what you were going to do when races weren't happening and you ended up doing quite a bit so tell us a little bit about mm-hmm. what you did in that hiatus when races weren't, weren't happening.
2: Well you know when it When it first started happening you know my attitude over the last 40 years of doing this has been that this industry of ours is somewhat bulletproof at least i thought it was that no one and nothing was going to take us to our knees because at the end of the day truly what our industry is all about is raising the level of self-confidence and self-esteem of people all all throughout the country and you know no matter how difficult times may get people are going to resort to Trying to do what they can to make themselves feel better about themselves, and participating in in road races or triathlons or whatever it might be is one way to do that. However, I was proven wrong because this pandemic came along and just knocked us to our knees. Unfortunately, um, and I was, you know, I, I pride myself in being the most prepared person on the planet because that's how you win. That's how you succeed. Is preparation. I wasn't prepared for this Um, and as a result, you know, you know, the first reaction is, you know, going through those stages of like death and dying is like first is denial. uh, You know, this isn't happening. And then it's anger. You get mad at anyone and everyone. And eventually you get to the acceptance. Well, it is happening. But then also the reality of like, put your big boy pants on because people are sick and people are dying. And so you lost a few road races, you know? Figure it out, and start to think about what are your assets. You know what? What are your skill sets, and are they transferable? And yes, yes, and yes, and yes. And so we started doing sort of outdoor, you know, drive-in movies and renting our road race equipment to restaurants for outdoor dining, and we started doing high school graduations outdoors and all kinds of things we never would have thought we would end up doing, but we did it because that's where the business was. So we kept a pulse throughout last year and we didn't have to go out of business. We didn't have to hibernate. But then the winter came and it's like, uh oh, all that business went away too. Now what do we do? And we were very lucky that we got a phone call from a local company here in Boston um, who was hired by the Commonwealth to set up and stand up mass vaccination sites. So they reached out to us and they said, you know, we need to partner with someone like you because we need what they called logisticians. I'm like, what the heck is a logistician? But if I'm one of them, okay, <laughs> sign me up. I'll do it. And, you know, just logistical people, you know, operations, you know, you know how to move people from point A to point B. That's what we need. I said, okay, you got us. And so we started working mass vaccination sites at Gillette Stadium, Penway Park. Heinz Convention Center, where we give out bib numbers for registration at the Boston Marathon and Reggie Lewis Track Center. So it was like, whoa, this is unbelievable. Like, not only are we keeping a pulse, but we're helping to keep people alive. We're helping to keep people healthy. And we're helping to bring our own industry back. Well, our last day doing vaccinations was last weekend. And our first day of coming back, putting on an in-person race, was last weekend. It's like it couldn't have been more perfect timing. And we helped vaccinate 1.3 million people in the Commonwealth. Um, So yeah, I mean, it was it was it was both luck that we got the phone call, but also it was because of our, you know, 40 years of experience putting on events that um, we got that phone call. And here we are ready to get back into it.
0: Congratulations, Dave. That's a tremendous accomplishment. And we we know the media was talking a lot about your progress with respect to the vaccination clinics. And uh, it is luck, but it certainly shows how you are able to take opportunities and really launch them into um, meaningful endeavors. And and that's been the theme of your life. So uh, it's quite inspiring. While certainly It wasn't the position any of us wanted to be in. You certainly made lemonade out of lemons with respect to being able to take your logistical skills and and truly help save lives. So congratulations. Mm -hmm. Thank you.
2: Yeah, team effort, team effort. You know, it's always about the team. You know, I might be the the conductor for something, but it's all the musicians that actually make the music harmonious.
0: So shifting gears a little bit, we want to start talking about uh, the the upcoming fall, hopefully only fall 2021 Boston Marathon. And could you explain uh, once again to our listeners your role with respect to the Boston Marathon and specifically your role with respect to the BAA before we start talking about the fall marathon? Sure. So in in
2: 1988, I um, I had my own company, DMSE Sports. We had been around for about eight years and the B.A. was looking for a technical sort of minded person who might know a little bit about putting on a road race. And they hired me as the technical coordinator to help at the start of the marathon. And so I did that. And then it just morphed into more and more and more. And eventually I was given the title race director. Meaning that my role was the race, you know, just directing the race, boots on the ground, everything from when the gun fired to when the last person crossed the finish line. Everything else is sort of not in my domain for the most part. It's more staff at the BAA. Um, I'm not an employee, I'm an independent contractor. Um, So they hired DMSE Sports to sort of help with the operations of the overall event. So we bring in maybe. 70, 80 people come race weekend to do, you know, help work at the start, work the course, work the finish. So, you know, the way I look at it, like I was just saying, I'm more of a conductor where you have all these different disciplines and parts, that, working parts that make make up the event. And I'm there just to help steer it in the right direction, communicate with everyone, you know, try to keep people motivated and inspired to get the
1: job done. So recognizing, Dave, that you are—you know—you're not making the decisions as to whether the race is going to go off or how many people are going to be in it. That's—that's that's all, you know, up to the BAA in con- in conjunction with the, you know, with the municipalities. But recognizing that, kind of talk to us a little bit about when you realized that, um, you know, fall was going to be a go because you know there's a period of time we all knew it was on the calendar, but. It was on the calendar last year too, and it, and it didn't happen. But you know, tell us tell us a little bit about how you you know how that process happened, and you figured out it was actually going to be a go, and and um, you know maybe about the, the the field limitations and kind of how that all played out.
2: Yeah, so this has been difficult for all of us, right? Because the most difficult thing about uh, planning um, is planning for uncertainty, not really knowing what the future will bear and where this virus was heading. So, you know, we had to play as much the caution role as possible, being an event where, you know, attracts runners from a hundred countries throughout the world and worldwide media and one of the most prestigious marathons of all times and a world marathon major, you can't just knee-jerk it. And um, so you have to be careful. There's a lot of, again, moving parts. There's a lot of constituencies. It's not just all about the runners. We have volunteers and we have media and we have spectators in cities and towns and it's a point to point and sponsorship and the list goes on and on and on. So you don't make decisions quickly nor do you make them in a vacuum, right? So, you know, when this pandemic hit and it was determined to, um, you know, sort of postpone it, um, you know, it, it, we were. The first thing we had to figure out was what date, you know, can we find a date that's acceptable to all the cities and towns? Now, again, we got eight municipalities we're dealing with. It isn't just downtown Chicago or London, you know, it's, you know, there's a lot of work that's being done behind the scenes to sort of, you know, get permission and, and to m- make, something, uh, make something happen. So eventually we settled in on um, Monday, the holiday, and um and then from there it's it's more a matter of working we developed a COVID uh marathon committee made up of you know medical people epidemiologists staff you know representatives from a lot of different again disciplines to try to help guide us through all this i mean what do we none of us know about viruses and pandemics and what what the future might might show so you know, we, we we're chipping away, chipping away, and plan A, B, C, D, you know, do we test? Do we multiple tests? Do we uh, require proof of vaccination? Uh, do we mitigate? What's, what's the, you know, strategy going to be? And so we said, well, we'll probably have to, minimally, we need to spread people out. I mean, that's, you know, m- minimize, if not eliminate mass gatherings that was one of the key elements so to get rid of mass gatherings you might have to minimize the mass (laughs) so the first decision we made was you know what's the field size going to be and but you just don't pull a number out of the air field size is based on two things how much time you have to conduct the event and how much space you have to do it within. well i know how much space we have now time and to spread things out, you need more time. So then we had to go to all the cities and towns and ask for more time. And you yeah, gotta remember this, now this is on a Monday it, and it's a holiday, but it's not a strong holiday. So people are gonna get up and go to work and get around and go to school or whatever they need to do. So it's not like you can just paralyze these communities for hours and hours and hours. So you have to be respectful of the fact that they're giving us the, um, the courtesy of shutting down their Immunity for a period of time, so we're able to get one more hour on the front end. So I started. We started doing the math and calculations. Then we said, "Well, if this has to be a rolling start because it can't be a mass gathering start, then we have to like drop and go, drop and go, drop and go." So based on the amount of time we were given, which is two and a half hours to have a rolling start, we backed into the number twenty thousand. So there you go, twenty thousand. So we went from thirty-one to twenty. Well. Who do you leave on the curb right and who, who gets in who doesn't get in and then we knew that the offset which is the time um, that um, you would have to beat your qualifying time by as a qualifier to get in was going to be the the, the the biggest offset since we started this registration process it is what it is <laughs> we didn't we didn't cause the virus right we're just trying to put on a race safe so it, it it came to like 7 minutes and 47 seconds so a lot of people who had qualified you know by 5 minutes 6 minutes weren't able to get in you know i mean some understood others weren't too pleased but what what can you say you know i mean that that's that's what we would we were dealt with there's no, no more room at the end <laughs> So we did, we, best, we did the best we could to balance that with the charity runners and all of it. You know, it's not an easy, not a perfect science. Um, so that's kind of where we're at right now. And we're still not 100% sure on the exact testing slash vaccination process that we'll be instituting only because there's a lot of, lot of dynamics to all that. What's proof of vaccination? What do you have to show? When do you have to show it? You know, the whole testing part of it is is, you know, a moving target. But it's all starting to come to fruition now. And I think we're getting a clearer and clearer picture of what things are going to look like and probably make that announcement relatively soon.
1: We wanted to take a quick break from the podcast to thank our friends at RNJ Sports for their support. RNJ is our go-to expert on all things running gear related particularly running shoes. If you've struggled with finding the right shoes, the staff at RNJ can help solve just about any problem or issue. As a small locally owned business, RNJ is heavily involved in and supportive of the local running community. They get runners. They are runners. RNJ has been an enthusiastic supporter of our podcast and our training programs including our Montgomery County Public Schools program. We are so appreciative of their support. Check them out online at rnj that's rnjsports.com. I would imagine that it's really hard to plan when things are changing so rapidly so when you made these decisions we didn't know what it was going to look like now and now if you looked at it now you maybe had been able to accommodate more people or different testing or you know we don't know what it's going to look like in three months from now so We can imagine that that is a really challenging um, aspect of this too. Is that everything's always changing, and we don't know what it's going to look like in a month or two months?
2: Yeah, like with our race last week, we had a mitigation thing. We split it in half. We had all the women run on Saturday and the men run on Sunday. We divided the race that used to be one gun, one start, everyone run up the mountain into two two days. Now, I don't want to have to necessarily do two days. That's twice as much work, right? But we had to keep it safe. And that's the only way we felt we could do it and still have you know, the field size that we've always accommodated. And when the CDC came out and said, okay, you don't have to wear your mask now and you know, things are starting to look good and you can all hug and kiss again. Everyone's emailing us and, and me in particular saying, okay, you're gonna go back to the way it was. I said, I, are you crazy? I said, we just spent the last five months developing this whole other system to keep you all safe. And now like that, we got a week to go. You think we're going to be able to flip it right back to the way it, no, you know, and, and sometimes, listen, I'm a runner too, right? So sometimes you just say, you know, guys, um, put your big boy pants on. Come on, look at it from our side of the fence too. We're, we're not trying to, you know, make this a worse experience for you. We're trying to do what we can do to get permission and to make it safe. So just go with it. It's a different experience. You know what the funniest thing is? So we went with the program that we designed. They loved it. They were like, that was great. You know, and we had more space. But maybe you should always make it a two-day event. You know, a whole weekend festival, yada, yada, yada. We changed the starting line area so we had more space to line people up six feet apart and all that kind of stuff. And I thought, oh, boy, we're going to get, you know, a Throat slit by these people because they're used to starting over there. And now we're saying start over here. They love the new start. So, you know, in reality, is even though there's a lot of bad that's happened as a result of this pandemic and all of that, you know, there's some silver linings too. And sometimes it makes you sit, stand back, take another look, reimagine, and say, you know, maybe there's another way to do this that's even better than the way we've been doing it over and over and over again. Why? Because that's the way we've been doing it over, you know. And if it ain't broken don't fix it and all that yeah but we can make it much better but a lot of times you don't have the guts to make a change because you just it, it's okay the way it is and then you're forced to make a change and you go hey that was a lot better that's what we found out
0: that's a great point definitely there have been some silver linings with respect to how we have been living our lives in this pandemic and the pandemic itself itself is not a positive thing but you're right we can we can find those positive things and for those who are struggling because they did not meet the cutoff and, you know, having to deal with that consequence based on what you just shared, it seems like the possibility of being able to enter with a time for the spring Boston Marathon, it it won't be another 747 based on what you just shared. Do you think that that's a statement that that you could agree with? I mean,
2: listen, uh, if if I had the crystal ball, I'd be going to to buy the lottery tickets right now. Nobody, nobody knows what's gonna happen in the future. But based on historical data, based on intuitiveness, I would say that if we go back to the normal field size of 31,000, or who knows, maybe even more, whatever, um, yeah, then the cutoff you would think would get lower and lower and lower. So, I mean, that's the intent, that's the hope. You know, the last thing, the tough part about this whole registration process is when when in I think it was 2007 or so, I forget the year when we sold out in a record time of eight hours and three minutes. Um, I got a lot of phone calls from peers of mine saying, wow, you must be so thrilled. The array sold out so quick. I said thrilled. I said I'm hiding under the bed. I said, no, we don't want our races to sell out in five and a half seconds, because then people who get left on the curb get all upset. And I said, you know, there's got to be some some fairness to all of this. Right. And if you're a surgeon doing heart surgery that morning, you open registration and you can't get to that computer, you shouldn't be kicked out. So then we come up with this new system of, um, you know, the fastest register earliest and all that. So it's all about the pursuit of athletic excellence, which is what we're all about to begin with. We make no bones about that. And, um, you know, it's all all about the marketplace setting the standard more than us. We set these standards, the qualifying standards, just to sort of get in the game. Now you're able to apply but now you're bumping up against all your peers. And if they're all running faster, then you're gonna to have to train harder. It's just, that's what we're about. Um, I, we make no bones about that. So, um, so we line the fastest up per gender and age group at the door and stop picking them off until we fill. And once we fill, that's the cutoff. It's pretty fair, right? But I understand the anguish and I'm trying to figure out how best to deal with it myself people who run a, a race in Des Moines, Iowa, you know, in July, and then they have to wait until September to apply. And then they don't make the cutoff. And, it, you know, you wish if you were, you qualify, you were guaranteed a spot. Well, it used to be that way for 40 years, you know, and then it just, and then the problem, it became a rush to the keyboard. So it's, you know, so the only other thing you can do in not turning away as many people is to tighten the standards and you start talking about tighten the standards and people start getting like, no, don't do that. Well, which is it? <laughs> you know, well, you're gonna get turned away anyways because you might not make the cut. So I'd rather tighten the standards and have people maybe not qualify than to qualify and get turned away. I don't know. Everyone has a different way of looking at it, I guess.
1: I think you'll, you're never gonna make everybody everybody happy, but, um, but I think uh, we always, um, to, we believe, and we always tell our runners, the BA always comes through in a fair, in a fair way. That you know, Absolutely. really balancing all of those, all those factors. So, going back to managing the numbers, um, and you may not have the answers to this yet; they may still be in in process. But, and what what are things? How is how is Boston in October going to look different, other than kind of a rolling start um, than than past Boston's? Will there be an expo? Um, you know, what will the start look like? What are what are that you can share with us? You know, Details are starting to take, take you know, shape. I don't
2: even know myself, you know, what that day is truly going to look like. Like, how many spectators are going to show up? I mean, if we, if the cities and towns and public safety discourages mass gathering, then, and if, if people adhere to that, then there won't be a lot of spectators along the course. That's a huge difference than in the past because we're known for 10 deep, you know, for 26 on both sides of the street. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know what October is going to look like in terms of that kind of an experience. I know um, functionally, operationally, what it's going to look like because we designed it. You know, a rolling start's a rolling start, so we're going to be a drop and go. And I, I really think that, that that experience of a drop and go is going to be. I, I, listen, I've run 161 marathons, so I have a clue what it's like to run a marathon and to get ready for a marathon in the morning of a marathon and. I'd love to pull up to the race, you know, pick up my bib or whatever, grab some water, use the restroom, stretch, jog a little bit and be on my way. I don't want to be thrown into a field and say, sit there for three hours in this lousy weather and we'll blow a whistle and say, your turn to line up, you know, and that's the way it's been at like a New York or a Boston or most of the major marathons. That's just the nature of what these things are. Well, imagine just, You know, you're supposed to board the bus at this time, you get your 45 minute ride out to the start, you get dropped off, you get the water, go to the bathroom and go. I don't know, as far as I'm concerned, I think they're going to love that. Yeah, you don't have a lot of people around you and you don't have a lot of the fanfare. But, you know, from a physical, physiological perspective, you know, you don't have to wait around for two and a half hours before the start of a marathon. I think that's pretty cool
0: that's a great point we've actually been thinking about that as coaches a lot so um for a lot of runners at boston the warm-up is actually the walk the brisk walk from uh, hopkinton that where the staging area is to the start line so um will there be time for those runners that want to do a little bit of shaking out before starting the marathon is there time Between the bus dropping a runner off to do all the things, use the bathroom, get some water, and do just a short little warm up before starting? Or is it going to be very stringent with respect to the time before a runner must start after being dropped um, off by the bus?
2: Again, everything, every day, it sort of changes based on what's going on with this virus, right? So when we first started thinking about this, we said we can't have mass gatherings in Hopkinton. So if we're dropping off runners, we can't have them hanging around because we're dropping off more and we're dropping off more, and all of a sudden you get yourself a mass gathering. So we want to get the cattle prods out, you know, and say go, go, go! You got to get going. Now things seemingly are getting a little looser, and maybe it doesn't have to be as stringent, right? So the way I think it's going to really end up is that, you know, people are going to be dropped off. They're going to take their time, you know, about a quarter of a mile from the start. They're going to take their time walking down to the intersection at the back end of the system. And and they're going to take their time a little bit. My guess is that anywhere between 15 minutes and a half hour, um, and they'll be on their way, everybody, you know, and if you want to If you want to leave Dodge right away, see you later. Goodbye. You know, you go when you when you go. I mean, we're not telling you this is when you have to go, but we don't want people hanging around either. So if they're warming up, they're warming up. If they're sitting on the curb, we're like, hey, you got to get going, buddy. You know, so, yeah, I think. And again, I so I think it would be perfect for everyone. Some will be able to go right away. Some will take their time a little bit and exactly what they want to do.
0: That's super helpful. Thank you for that insight. So what about the expo? What do you think that's going to look like? And if there is no expo, how do you anticipate people picking up their bib number?
2: Yeah, well, there's registration, you know, um, I think it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, there is an expo, but it's probably going to be minimized. So I think what you're going to see is a lot of the same things, but more downsized, less, less, less uh, like vendors. So you spread it out and, you know, just be vigilant, be be careful, be safe. Um, we're not gonna try to do the exact same thing that we've normally done. We're just again, I think the key is, you know, spread things out over a longer period of time and every everyone will be safe. That's sort of the the MO.
1: Hey, what about um the end of the race? What is what do you think that's gonna look like in terms of getting people through through the finish? I mean, that's also kind of a Typically a crowded a crowded area, especially with spectators. But I'm assuming it's just going to be kind of similar. Since we've got a rolling start, it'll be hopefully a rolling finish, and people just move through. Move That's through exactly
2: quickly. Right. That's exactly right. The intent is minimize the density throughout the entire system. You know, at the start, along the course, and at the finish. So onesies and twosies instead of you know twenties and third, you know fifties all crossing the finish line at the same time. So the density at the finish. Hopefully won't be as great. You got to remember we have uh, a third less people in the race too, so you got the rolling start with less people. Um, you have to think that 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 experience at the finish is going to be very different than maybe at peak time, the way it has been. And again, not a lot of activity. You know, grab a bag and go. You know, and cross the finish line. Get your medal. Get your blanket. Get your bag and. Uh-huh be on your way, you know, and it's sad to think that, like, here's your hat, what you hurry? <laughs> you just ran a marathon, and we're like, bye. Um, but again, the whole idea this year, everyone, and it's like, listen, we've been dealing with this for a year. It's not going to be a, a, a big surprise, and, and um, so I, it, it's going to be fine. People are going to be fine.
1: I think everyone at this point kind of understands and and is on board and just grateful for that opportunity. Tell, talk to us a little bit about the weather in Boston in October. What do you, what do you, you have any concerns? What are you, what do you anticipate the weather being like in in early early October?
2: I did like a historical look back the last twenty years on that day, and it's it's not that different than April. You know, it's coming out of the it's the backside of the year, but it's almost similar to what. April can bring because it could be hot and it could be cold. It could be both. You know, I mean, if the race was today, it, you know it's going to be hot. If the race was in February, you know it's going to be cold. But in April, you don't know what you're going to get and in October you don't know what you're going to get. So, you could luck out and have a perfect, you know, 50 degree day, partly sunny, you know, a little wind at your back, you know, kind of a day. Or you could have it could be in the mid 70s and, you know, blazing sun and it could be could be a little hot um and it could be a cold rain so we don't know
1: sounds like what we've dealt with in april for, for it's the just best. like an april
2: thing you know right. you, you, you wake up that morning and you stick your head out the window and that's when you know what it's going to be like
1: or it may be different a few hours later. We know the weather yeah. in Boston changes right. changes so quickly. Well, Dave, it's been really helpful for us to talk through kind of what Boston's gonna look like with you. And again, we know it it can still change, and we know it's gonna look a little different. But we what we always know is that Boston is such a special experience. And whether that's in April or in October, for for us, it's just um to be back in Boston to us is gonna be um, really uh, really meaningful. And we're bringing a bunch of runners there, so we're excited for them. To a lot of them, it's their first Boston and they missed last year, but got in for this year. So um, we're super excited and we're coaching a big group of them. And one had a question to ask you that we thought was a really great question. So we're gonna close out with that question. And that question was, if you could get into a time machine and go back to any Boston Marathon in the history of the Boston Marathon um, and be at the finish line or experience that race, is there one in particular you'd like to go back to?
2: Me personally, um, well, I mean, you know, the hundredth was huge you know, when we went from 9,000 the year before to almost 40,000 that year in 1996. I mean, for me, that was epic. Um, Certainly 2014, you know, coming out of the the bombings and stuff and seeing MEP finish and just that whole piece of it. Um, You know, 2008, we did the Olympic trials and that was really special right there at the finish and there's so many it's hard to pick pick one
1: any from before uh, your time
2: uh, any from before your time I'm that not, you
1: haven't yeah. been <laughs> I wasn't
2: <laughs> I'm not sure um right you know the one that inspired me was when Ron Hill from Great Britain won in the cold rain in 1970 and I was listening to it on the radio and that's when I was inspired to someday I'm going to run the Boston Marathon and two two years later as a 17 year old senior I went out and tried it and I didn't finish. And then I learned a valuable lesson that you, you might need to train for one of these things. And then I came back in 73 and ran it and said I'm going to run this race every year for the rest of my life and I've run it for the last 48 years so October will be my 49th and then April will be my 50th so. Looking forward to getting number 50 under my belt.
0: That's really exciting that you'll get your 50th just coming this April. So your 49th is a practice and once again, your only fall Boston Marathon. So that too will be a memorable one for that reason.
2: True. Yep. Yep. We all have special moments here.
0: Yep. So Dave, thank you once again for being a 3P guest on our podcast. As always, you are a wealth of information. And we hope to see you up in Boston in October and again in April. But in the meantime, best of luck with all of the logistics. We have no doubt that the race will be a stellar experience for all in spite of some of the differences from past years. So thank Thank you, Dave, and best of luck to you and all of the planning. And we'll see you in October.
2: Be well. Take care. You too. Okay. Thanks so much for having me. Bye. Bye.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the Run Farther and Faster Boston Marathon podcast. We want to give a special thanks to our editor, Erin Bryan. And if you enjoyed this episode and enjoy listening to our podcast, please share it with others and please leave a review if you haven't done so already on iTunes. Thanks for listening and have a great week.